Take your Bibles to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. For several weeks we've been studying a sermon series entitled Thanksgiving, uh, Reasons That Transcend Any Season. We mentioned how around this time of year there seems to be a great emphasis placed upon being thankful for what you have, but really thanksgiving and gratitude should emanate from the heart of a Christian all year long. It shouldn't just be something that belongs when the temperatures get a little cool and uh, turkeys start going on sale at HEB, but it truly should be one of the characteristics that define the Christian life. For all God has done for us, we ought to be truly thankful. And so uh, that's what we've been talking about. We've looked at several different lessons. We conclude our series tonight. Psalm 107, verse number 1. We'll only read the first eight verses of the psalm, but there's so much more to this particular psalm that I just don't have time to get into. But the Bible says, Psalm 107, verse number 1, the first verse really sets the tone for the psalm as it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Now, you could just stop there. And, and I almost went ahead and said, and you could preach on that for hours, but you don't need to preach on that for hours. The statement in and of itself should convict the Christian. It should uplift the Christian. It should remind the Christian of how truly good our God is. And, and you don't need a preacher to get up here and give you sermon illustrations and quotes from famous theologians or Christians. You just need to know that we ought to give thanks to the Lord for He is good. I can't define to you or describe to you how good He's been in my life because words could not describe it. He is so good to us. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. It is unending. It never changes. It's always there for every person who wants to take part in the mercy of God. Verse number two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. And verse number 8 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Now, this book goes so much deeper than what I could even begin to uh, describe to you. This particular chapter is so full of, of just biblical truth, but we only concentrate on the first part of it this evening. Let us pray and we'll begin. Father, I pray tonight that you'd bless the reading of Scripture and Lord, I pray that you would bless the preaching of truth. And dear God, I pray that you would help us understand how truly good you are and how worthy of our thanksgiving you are. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the book of Psalms is a poetical book. 
Um, in fact, many of the psalms are songs of worship. That's why the Bible says singing in your hearts and uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs just because uh, they were uh, meant for the purpose of worship. And this psalm is, in fact, a song for worship. It's divided into four understandable and four dividable parts, okay? And if you want to think of it in terms of a song and their songs aren't necessarily constructed like our songs, but, but this one kind of does lend itself for that. There are four verses to this song, okay? The first verse, what we read, is speaking of God's providence in the way, uh, for the weary in the wilderness. God's providence for the weary in the wilderness. And then you see that in verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Now, if you were to fast forward, verses 9 through 16 would be the second verse, and that would be God's deliverance for the people from captivity. And that's uh, found in verses uh, 9 through 16. And, and you can see that if you wanted to look at it yourself. But verses, the third verse would be found in verses 17 through 22. And that is God's care of the sick on their deathbed. God's care for the sick on their deathbed. And then verses 23 through 32 is God's concern for the sailor lost at sea. God's concern for the sailor lost at sea. And we're not going to speak on all these, but, but one particular theologian described this psalm as being this, God to the rescue. Because it speaks of four very different scenarios, and it speaks to the fact that while my struggle may not be your struggle, and my trial may not be your trial, and the way I need God may not be the way that you need God, uh, and don't take that wrong, we all need God the same, but, but what I need God to do for me may not be the exact same thing as what you need God to do for you. And, and so it speaks to the diversity of issues, but it speaks to the singularity of a solution. You see, we all have different struggles and different valleys and different trials and different problems that arise in life. They're all very different. So even when somebody comes up to you and they say something like, you know, brother, I know what you're going through. The cynic in most of us says, you have no idea what I'm going through. You may have gone through this, but you didn't go through this with social media present. <laughs> you may have gone through this, but you didn't go through this exact same situation. And that's the cynic in all of us. But at the end of the day, that's the beauty of this particular psalm is it speaks of four different verses in this song. And it speaks of one who's weary in the wilderness. And it speaks of a sailor that's lost at sea. And it speaks of captives in bondage. And it speaks to the man on the deathbed. But at the end of the day, no matter what situation you find yourself in, the answer is Christ. There's a singular solution. And that's what's so fantastic about this psalm. And you find that there is, if there's verses, there is a chorus to this psalm. I want you to see it with me. We find it in verse number 8. And I taught this to Caitlin tonight as I was studying. We, we learned this verse because the way I look at it is if you learn this verse, you learn three other verses at the exact same time. But look, verse number 8, the Bible says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now skip down to verse number 15. 
Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I want you to skip down to verse number 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I want you to skip down even maybe to verse number 31. The Bible says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. You see, there's four verses in the song, but there's a chorus. And that's quite, not quite different from the way our songs are constructed today. I, I don't really know about modern music because I can't understand a lot of modern music. Recently, I spent some time out uh, in a tree stand somewhere near here, and there was a football stadium not far from us. And man, on Thursday night, I guess the JV was playing, and on Friday night, I guess the varsity was playing. I never heard such kind of music as what they was listening to. And by the way, it was a Christian school. But uh, uh, we were listening to that music. I don't necessarily know how modern music is constructed. But we understand that a lot of songs are made with a verse, a chorus, another verse, and a chorus that is the same as the first. And we hear that chorus and we understand that that is the central heartbeat of the song. That's the way that this is. Now, I wanted to give you a great illustration. I wanted to break it down for you and kind of give you that example or give you an example of what I'm speaking of tonight. So I said, what is a song that our congregation would be very familiar with? And obviously, my first thought was a song like Amazing Grace. But then I thought, no, that's a little too spiritual for the folks that I'm going to be preaching to, okay? So I've got to come up with a different song. And so I I came up with this one, all right? You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Okay? Only because Preacher has mentioned that, Elvira, yeah. Only because Preacher has mentioned that one a few times. Now, to be honest with you, the only setting that I've ever heard of that song was from this pulpit. I've never heard the song before. It's a very spiritual song. I think the very, I think the first or the third word of the song is, in a bar. <laughs> I literally believe that, but don't worry about that. So I was, I was trying to figure out how I could give this as an example. And, you know, here's the verse, here's the chorus. Since it does speaks of, uh, speak of bars and relationships, I just decided it may not be the best situation. But as I was listening to the song, I did listen to it twice, <laughs> both by Kenny Rogers and... Uh, Help me out. Who sings it? The first guy that sings it? Nobody fell for it. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, I don't know. He's an older country singer. I can't remember. What is his name? No. I don't know. I forgot now, but I appreciate y'all not knowing. Either way, that's really irrelevant. It was sung quite a long time before Kenny Rogers sang it. And uh, so I listened to both versions. And as I was listening to the older version, my daughter Caitlin's over on the couch. And, uh, oh, I just love children. Man, they're just so fantastic. She goes, I'm listening to this song. Speaking of all this, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Like, it's just fantastic. And Caitlin says this, Daddy, are you watching Mama's Church? Oh, man. Oh, I just lost it. I'm laughing out loud. I 
just pull out my phone and I text my mother-in-law immediately. Uh, and I was like, no, baby, I'm not listening to Momo's church. And she goes, are, we, are you listening to our church? And I was like, no, no, Caitlin, I'm not listening to our church. Really has nothing to do with the sermon, but I was in search of a sermon illustration. I figured I'd share that great, great thing that happened to me today. But we do understand that there is a sort of construction to songs, and and that is the way this song is. Now, I cannot squeeze in the study of four verses of this song and the chorus and the depth and all the pictures of it. But if you will tonight, just allow me the privilege of studying the first verse of this song. The first verse, and, and if we'll understand the chorus as it speaks, may we understand that there is a great need for thanksgiving in our lives. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. It's a cry, it's a plea. Oh, that men would just recognize. Oh, that men would just understand. Oh, that men would just see truly how good God is and praise him for it. And we study this tonight and we'll understand what the first verse has to do with our lives. Number one, we've got to give thanks to the Lord for the deliverance from the enemy. That's what the verse says in verse number two. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And there's something that's wrong with Christians today. Not enough of the redeemed are saying so. It's not that we're ashamed of Christ, but we just ought to shout it from the mountaintops what God has done for us. You say, Brother Andrew, I'm not very good at sharing my faith. That makes two of us. So here, how about this? Just share your testimony. By the way, the Bible doesn't call us to be evangelists. It calls us to be witnesses. Not much different than a witness that is called to the witness stand. They're not asked for expertise. They're asked for what happened in their life. What did you see? What did you feel? What went on that day and what the Bible asks of us is that the redeemed of the Lord would not know every verse in the Bible but just that we would be willing to share what Christ has done in our heart let the redeemed of the Lord say so and the Bible says whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy now this passage of scripture clearly speaks uh, at least alludes to Israel First, uh, you can look at Psalm 105 and 106. We studied Psalm 105 in our youth Bible study the other night. But Psalm 105 speaks of Israel. Psalm 106 speaks of Israel. And I believe this psalm at least infers Israel. And I don't believe it's exclusive to application of Israel. But the Bible here says that we ought to thank the Lord for he hath delivered us from the enemy. Now, you'll certainly recall how... Israel wound up in Egypt. By the way, it was very innocent. And by the way, I believe they were in God's will the whole time. You see, the Bible tells us that there was a man by the name of Joseph who's betrayed and sold into slavery by his brethren. That man goes through this tremendous life and it's one of my favorite studies in all the Bible, to be honest with you, because this man maintains his character like few others do in the Bible in very bad situations. And he went from the pit to the prison to the palace. And what's amazing about it is God uses his life and 
And at the end of it, he can look back and he says, what you meant for evil, my brother sold me into slavery, you wanted to get rid of me, you were jealous of me, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And if only we would understand in the middle of our problems that God is working all things together for our good. If we could only see that, we would understand God always has a plan and God always has a way and he is truly working all things for our good for his behalf. If, if we can only see that, but, but it's a great story. And Joseph, once he reveals himself to his brethren who sold him into slavery, he gives an invitation to them and his father, Jacob. And he says, y'all need to come live with me. And I've been made second in command here and I I have a lot. There's still five years remaining in the famine and you guys are already in great and dire need. And so I'm going to invite you to come live in the land of Goshen and I'll take care of you and I'll provide for you and I'll, I'll give you the things that you need. And so Jacob and the whole family moves to the land of Goshen. The Bible kind of concludes the book there in the first chapter of the book of uh, uh, Exodus, we find that there arose a new king in Egypt who knew not Joseph. It wasn't that they were living in a wrong state or a wrong way, but by the way, the Bible tells us that sometimes bad things happen to really good people. And, and they're in Goshen and a king arises and he looks at them and he says, it seems like they're just always uh, prospering. It seems like they're growing in number. And if we're not careful, they're going to be stronger than us eventually. So this new Pharaoh puts over them taskmasters. And he begins to make them build their great cities. They become slaves. And for over 200 years, they are slaves in the land of Egypt. It's actually a pretty unique story, if you'll recall. Uh, This small land in the Bible says, even with the taskmasters and even with the burdens, God still made them prosper. The Bible then goes on to tell us that uh, God was preparing a way for he had heard their cry and that their cry had risen up before him. And so God raises up a man to deliver them. And God raises up a situation where where he provides these plagues. And and you know the story of the exodus in Egypt. But what's amazing about the story is a slave nation with no weapons defeated the superpower of the day. How does that happen? Only God does miracle stuff like that. You know, only God allows uh, 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 battles to be won without even fingers being raised. It's God that did that victory, and it was God that provided the way out of the enemy's uh, land there. It was God that gave them the freedom. It wasn't Moses or Aaron. Those guys were just men, but it was always God that brought them out of the captivity in Egypt. If we looked at it, humanly speaking, we'd say there's no way they could do it on their own. Did you know that one day in all of our lives, we were once brought out of the enemy's camp? Did you know that the Bible tells us that from the very moment you came into this world, the devil was trying to blind you? The devil hates you. Christian, if you could only understand how much he hates you. And I know that when you preach on the devil, it kind of paints a target on your back. But I'm telling you right now, you ought to hate the devil as much as he hates you. 
Jesus doesn't want good for you. He doesn't want good for your children. He's jealous of you. He hates you. And, and the devil is trying to pull you down. And from the moment you were born into this world, he tried to hide your eyes from the glorious light of the gospel. But one day, one day in most of our lives, a preacher or some person opened up the word of God. And that day the devil fought against you and that day the devil oppressed you and that day the devil tried to cast doubt in your mind and thoughts in your mind and sidetrack you and do everything. And if you want to know exactly how much he fights you, go witnessing one time and get to the point where you open up the Bible and you say, well, the Bible says in John chapter 3, 16, that for God so loved the world. And then the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, you tell me if at that moment some distraction does not pop up. It is uncanny how it happens. The other day we went on a youth visit and uh, that day there were some kids interested in baptism and we went in there and I was able to share with them the gospel and you can ask Brother Charlie and you can ask Brother Kevin. It seemed like every distraction that was possible occurred in that house that day. It's always that way. If there's a dog somewhere near, that dog will come up to you. You know why? Because the devil fights. The devil's not going to let you go into heaven easy because he can't get in there easy. But one day a preacher opened up the scripture. One day a preacher preached a sermon. One day a witness opened the Bible and shared with you the gospel. And that day the devil lost and Christ prevailed in your life. And it is just as glorious as Egypt leaving, uh, or it's just as glorious as Israel leaving Egypt it is you coming out of the enemy's camp and saying, no longer am I a sinner bound on my way to hell, but I'm a saint on my way to heaven. I have a home in heaven when I'm going to die. I no longer have to live in condemnation or separation from God. Can you tell me how glorious that is, Christian, to know that you're going to live in heaven one day? So you came out of the enemy's camp. And we ought to thank God for that every single day. Because the odds were stacked against you. And yet somehow Christ prevailed. Not only should we give thanks for deliverance from the enemy, but I want you to see secondly, that we should give thanks for daily needs met. Verse number four, the Bible says this. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. This is clearly a reference to Egypt as, or, or to Israel as they've departed Egypt now. The Bible tells us in Exodus 16, it's approximately a month and a half into their wanderings in the wilderness. They look at each other and they say, Moses brought us out here to die. We, we were better off by the flesh pots in Egypt is what they say. When we had bread to the field, what they were saying was we had plenty in Egypt. And by the way, don't mistake this, Christian. You can have plenty of the world. You can fill yourself up with all the pleasures that the world has to offer and not realize that you're not fulfilling a greater purpose for Jesus Christ. You can fill yourself up with materialism. You can fill yourself up with uh, 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 success in the uh, business world. But at the end of the day, I want to ask you this question. What are you doing for Jesus? Because when you're sitting by the flesh pot, nothing for eternity happens. 
When you're sitting in Egypt, nothing for Christ happens. You've got to come out of Egypt and do something great for Him. They say, oh, we had bread to the full and we had all the flesh pot we could eat. We, we, had, we had all the meat and bread we could eat in Egypt. And the Bible tells us that God hears their cry. And the Bible tells us that He says, I'm going to give you manna tomorrow. They would wake up in the morning and there would be manna on the ground. And in the evening, the quail would ascend upon the camp. And they would have quail in the evening and bread in the morning. I don't know exactly how manna tasted. I heard one preacher compare it to a Krispy Kreme donut. I guess that could be understandable. I don't think it's exactly right, but maybe if that's how you want to believe it. But I do know how quail tastes, and it's fantastic. The last time I had quail, I was at the Riata. It's a real nice restaurant. Husbands, you ought to take your wives there at least one time. And they had barbecue-glazed quail with cheddar grits. Oh, man, it was so, so good. And that's what God gave them. I think the Riata is like a four-star restaurant. He gave them four-star restaurant there in the wilderness. That's how God provided for them. He gave them Krispy Kreme in the morning, and he gave them four-star cuisine in the evening. Are you kidding me? right now Israel if if I was God I'd give you like a happy meal and then you'd been miserable all day that's how God came through for them he met their daily needs they didn't deserve it they didn't earn it but God met their need and yet they struggled being thankful for it they even complained at times are you thankful that God meets your needs You know, the Bible says uh, you shouldn't worry about the things that you're going to wear or the things that you're going to eat or drink. In fact, the Bible says God knows that you have need of these things. You know what that means? God designed you with these needs. These needs do not surprise God. God could have just said you don't need them, but he instilled you with the needs. Why did he give you, why did he create you in that manner? So he could prove his faithfulness to you. Every single day we ought to trust God for our needs. And when he comes through, we ought to say a prayer at nighttime that says, Lord, today you came through for me in a big, big way. In fact, in that passage in Matthew, the Bible says that uh, he compares us to the lilies of the field and the fowls of the air. In fact, he says the fowls of the air, they they don't plant seed or anything like that, but, but God provides for them. He says, the lilies of the field, they do not toil, neither do they spin. In other words, they don't work, neither do they sew or or make any garment, and yet they are clothed more glorious than Solomon and, 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 and the best of his array. That's what the Bible tells us. Yeah, I got to thinking about that bird comparison. And the only thing I could think about it was like this. Sometimes we'll go over and we'll sit on my mom's porch. And uh, sometimes it's like in a thunderstorm. There's something about Texans sitting on a, thunder, on a porch in the thunderstorm with a blanket on. It just seems Texan. And you maybe have a glass of sweet tea and a Whataburger. I don't know. But it's a very Texan thing to do. And we did it growing up. Now you go over to my mom's house and she has these feeders hung up. And they're, a lot of times they look like strawberries. Sometimes it's just a glass container. But usually there's some type of red liquid in them. And I think mom makes this little concoction for them, and it's uh, maybe like sugar water, I believe is what it is, and, and she feeds the hummingbirds there. And we sit there and we admire the beauty of the hummingbird, but you know what I got to thinking about in context of this passage? I thought this was rather unique. Somehow God has convinced my mother 
to supply the need of the hummingbird. Now, hummingbirds are cool. I mean, can we all admit, when you can't see their wings flapping like slow motion, I think that's a pretty cool thing. But, but somehow, God has arranged for my mother to meet the need of the hummingbird. And he compares us to the bird. He says, look, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll arrange somebody to meet your need. I'll take care of the issues that you face. Don't worry about the things that you eat, the things that you drink, and the clothes that you wear. For after all these things do the Gentiles worry themselves with. Can't you just trust me? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. We ought to be thankful for, uh, day, for God supplying our daily need. We ought to be thankful for deliverance from the enemy. Thirdly, we ought to be thankful for distressed prayers that are heard. Verse number, I want you to see this, verse number six, the Bible says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Are you thankful that at any moment you can go to God in prayer and he promises to hear it? I mean, can you tell me anything better than that? The Bible assures us that we will have trouble. In fact, the Bible says, uh, in this world you shall have tribulation. The Bible says, God maketh it to rain on the just and the unjust, and he makes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. And we all will experience trouble in this world, but as a child of God, we can go to dad at any time and ask him for his help. Amen. Have you ever received a phone call from somebody, and maybe you were busy, or maybe for one reason or another, it rang and rang and rang, and you tried to answer it right at the last minute, only to slide it over and say hello, and you hear their phone hang up. Then, this is possibly the most aggravating thing I've ever encountered in my life. You call them immediately right back. I mean, not even seconds back. It's like you hang up, and then you're like, you just open the phone app, and you're calling them right back, and somehow they don't answer. Have you ever had that happen? It is the most frustrating thing. It seems to happen with my wife quite frequently. I don't know. Anytime I really need to get in touch with my wife, it's like, where are you at? These phones are cellular. They go where you go. They're mobile. There is no landline they must be connected to. It's a very unique uh, invention that you can have contact with me at any time. But when I need to contact you, you must then carry the phone so that I can reach you. It just seems like that's not the way it works out. And then what's funny is when my wife calls me, where have you been all day? <laughs> well, I've been right by my phone. Well, I called you. Well, it didn't ring. You know how that goes. But, but I can promise you this. While that's a very frustrating endeavor, that never happens when you call God. Amen. Ever. Aren't you glad you don't have to rely on the network to get to God? whether it's the 99% as good one or the 100% that's terrible. Aren't you glad that God promises to hear the prayer of the righteous? The Bible says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. In fact, the Bible also says in James chapter 5, verse 16, 
the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It matters a great deal to God. And when you face your struggle, as the Bible promises you will, you can go to him at any time. Hannah in the Old Testament went into the temple. She began to pray as she had an adversary provoking her and she was uh, just very conflicted. She wanted to have a child, but God had not allowed her to have a child. But she goes to the temple there and she begins to pray. And you know the story, but she's praying and her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. The Bible says she was praying in her heart. And, uh, and, and we know that story. And Eli looks at her and he supposes that she has been drunk. And by the way, the temple was not in a great way at that state and time because Eli's son, Hophni and Phinehas were just losers. And so he just assumed she was one of their uh, compatriots. And he says, how long are you going to remain drunk and put away the wine from you? And as Hannah sits there and prays in bitterness of soul, here's a, a human being supposed to be a spiritual helper condemning her for her actions. You know, that never happens with Christ. The Bible says that we have a great high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Anything that we face, Christ knows what you're facing. And you can go to him at any time. Therefore, we can come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain help in our time of need. We ought to be thankful that we can be able to go to God and pray our distressed prayers. So we ought to give thanks for deliverance from the enemy, for daily needs met. For distressed prayers heard. And then fourthly, for directed paths. Verse number seven says this. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Now, if you remember the story of Israel wandering in the wilderness, you'll recall that they were not alone. While they were wandering the whole time, they were following the whole time. You remember there was a clear sign from God. It was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And that, that cloud by day and that fire by night, it never left them. They were following that. And even while they felt like they were going nowhere, they were following after God. In fact, I think it's pretty unique that God raised up a man for the specific purpose of helping them in their journey. Now, don't ever forget this. God uses men to help other men. Did you know that God can prepare a man to help you go through life? Did you know that God prepared Moses? He says, Moses, I've called you and I've prepared you. Moses says, oh, I'm not worthy. And then I, I can just assume in the back of God's mind, God's saying, yeah, but I prepared you for this moment. You see, I, I made it to where the ark made it safely to, to Pharaoh's daughter. I'm, I gave you 40 years of preparation in the palace with Pharaoh. You have the best education. Moses, you, you have access to Pharaoh that no other Jew has. Moses, you are the perfect candidate for this situation. So God not only leads them, but he provides a leader for them. God gives them a way so that they don't just have to sit there and wonder, well, I don't know what's going on. I wish God would show me his way. I believe this with all my heart, and I've preached to teenagers for a long time, and I tell them this, God never hides his will from anyone. God's not upstairs in heaven saying curtain one, curtain two, or curtain three. That's, that's, that's a game show. That's not life. 
The Bible wants us to know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The problem is we're not willing to do the first parts of his will. So he's like, well, I can't show you the second part of the will because it's bigger than you can ever imagine. But God wants us to know his will and God will be with us no matter what the journey requires. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. See, that's the problem. We don't do it in all the ways. We do it in some of the ways, and we think we're religious and spiritual because we're doing it in some of those ways. But in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You want leadership from God? In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Trust in him, and lean not unto your own understanding. Psalm 23 might be the best passage of scripture for somebody who is fully led by God. But the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousnesses for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup, runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No matter what you're going through, whether it's the valley of the shadow of death or a table anointed before your enemies, by God, God will be with you. The other day I was, I just had a really rough day uh, a few days ago, and I was struggling. We had the alumni game that evening, and uh, I was trying to, you know, I wanted to make the alumni game at JCA just to show those kids how to play basketball and, uh, and how not to be able to walk the next day. And uh, so I really wanted to make that. But man, my day just started off rough. And it just seemed like, have you ever had one of those days that everything you did takes you twice as long as it should have? And then because that happened, it sets you so far behind for the next thing. It's like the other thing takes you twice as long as you should have. And then you just keep making mistakes. Well, that was my day on last Thursday. It just was a rough day. And, uh, and so I'll, this is just, just like a small portion of how annoying my day was. I told my GPS to take me somewhere. I said, GPS, take me to this place. And so it says, calculating, right? It, it did what it's supposed to do. And I'm, all right. And it said, I'm nine minutes away. So I follow my GPS. And I'm actually pretty close to where I needed to go. And, and I follow my GPS. And it starts taking me, you know, kind of, it doesn't feel right. Have you ever, you know, it feels like you're going in the wrong direction. But I'm, I didn't know exactly where I was. And I was just going to follow the GPS. And then I get to the middle of a road. And it says, you have arrived at your destination. No building around. No particular thing that even remotely resembled where I needed to go was around. It just says, you have arrived at your destination. Just kind of dumped me off in the middle of nowhere and kind of said, you figure it out from here on out. What is a GPS for? If not to help you arrive at your destination. But sometimes we think God will treat us like that, kind of like recalculating recalculating. But that's not the way that God is. God wants us to arrive at our destination. And he never wants us to arrive there on our own. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. 
He wants to be there with you. He wants to provide for you. Now, God is so good. God is so good to us. Here's my question. Are you thankful for it? Oh, that men would praise him for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the sons of men. Are you thankful for his wonderful works in your life? Are you thankful for it? Have you told him? What do you have to repay God for all his goodness to you? You know, it feels like, have you ever received a present? I'll never forget years ago, Cody's birthday, uh, one of my best buddies in the whole world, Cody's birthday, I believe it's June 22nd, right? Is that right? 26th? 26. All right. Dad's is 22nd, right? All right. So yours is 26. Shows you how good a friend I am uh, and how good a son I am. Uh, but Cody's is June 26. Just so you know, if you want to get him a present, I'm sure he'd take it. Um, but mine is June 8th. Me and Cody have always been tight. And, uh, and so one year I'll never forget his birthday came and went and it just, or my birthday came and went and, uh, and we get past his birthday. I think is how it went. Oh, I can't remember exactly how it went. But, but basically, Cody got me a present. And I didn't get him one. And I felt terrible about it. I felt terrible about it. Because there's, an, there's essentially, there's, we kind of feel indebted when somebody does something nice for us, right? Even if it's a gift with no strings attached, we feel as if we owe them something, even if it's just a thank you. We, we feel indebted because of the kindness that was showed to us. Let me ask you, what do you have to repay God for all his goodness towards you? There is no monetary amount of money. There is no days of service that you could give. What do you have to repay God? The only currency that God will accept is through thanksgiving. Oh, that we would praise him for his goodness. He doesn't require years of service. He doesn't require years of faithfulness. He just requires thanksgiving. Are you thankful for God's blessings?